Good morning. Today's reading is Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 18. Lights in the world. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. This is the word of our Lord. Please be seated. Thanks, Dee. Uh, my name is Alex. I'm one of the elders here, and I get to introduce our guest preacher this morning. Um, Dave is down in Guatemala. They left yesterday, so make sure we're praying for that team just like we, we did uh, earlier, be praying for them throughout the week. Um, one of the things that's awesome about redemption is that, you know, we do have 10 congregations throughout Arizona, and so uh, we often get to hear from other uh, pastors or other residents at different congregations. And so this morning we have the pleasure of hearing from Juan Chavez who is on staff at, up at Redemption uh, Peoria as a resident. Um, we got to talk a little bit. I'd never met him. We got to talk a little bit before the service. And I mean, I already feel like he's just one of my brothers uh, in Christ. Uh, he has a real heart for, for Phoenix, especially South Phoenix. Um, him and his wife are hoping to plant a church there someday. Um, he told me they have two young kids, three and two, with another one that's due, I think, at the end of the week. Um, so, I'm not, not sure what's uh, in the water up there, but <laughs> I told him he's probably not going to be sleeping probably for another 20 years. So, but we have the pleasure of hearing from Juan, so go ahead and give him a welcome as he, as he comes up Thanks, to brother. preach. Thanks, Alex. Appreciate you, man. Thank you. Amen. Good morning, church. Good morning. Yeah, I don't know what's going on. God just keeps blessing us with babies. It's crazy. <laughs> Yeah, but our baby is due Friday, and um, we don't know what we're having. It's a surprise, but uh, we would appreciate prayers, you know, just for, um, yeah, healthy delivery, and hopefully we'll come back one day and get to bring our three kids, and yeah, it'd be fun. Um, before we start, uh, if you need a Bible, please raise your hand, and we'll have some folks coming down and, and handing out Bibles. If you want one, just put your hands up, and uh, yeah, we'll grab a Bible. We'll be in Philippians 2, verses 12 through 30 today. Wow, I didn't know there were people up at the top, too. Good morning. <laughs> well, um, yeah, I know, I know it's already been announced that there's no AC, and, and how fun is that? Today, I'm actually, part of the scriptures, which we read on the screen, is uh, Paul says, uh, do all things without grumbling or complaining. So I think the Lord is testing us today with this, right? first world problem stuff. Uh, but yeah, my wife and I come from, um, we are uh, there at Redemption Peoria. Uh, we live in Tolleson. We do ministry 
uh, in South Phoenix, and we're grateful to uh, come and, and be with our brothers and sisters here in Tucson today. So uh, grateful for the invitation to, to come on out, and uh, grateful that Dave in, invited me out. Um, I think it's really neat that you have a team of, of folks in your church who are out in another country right now, probably experiencing no AC and, and doing work and sharing the gospel with a lot of um, people there who have never heard it. Uh, so that's awesome that, uh, that that's taking place here. Uh, about a year ago, I came down to Tucson for a program that I was in uh, called uh, DVULI, and every other month we would do workshops in, in different cities, you know, for the weekend. And the one in Tucson was my absolute favorite one um, because God really just did some cool stuff there. And, um, and I just had like out of all, I was talking to my wife about all the workshops I went to in that year and a half program, uh, Tucson was, was my favorite. You know, the, the connection I had with my brothers and sisters in, in that program was just solid. And I had some of the tastiest coffee I've ever had. I went to Cartel Coffee and it was, it was phenomenal. So when I think of Tucson, I'm reminded of, of that great uh, time that I had. So, uh, so yeah, if you have your Bibles, we're in Philippians 2, 12 through 30. Uh, let's pray that, yeah, that the Lord would speak to us, would open up our hearts and our eyes to the text this morning. Father, God, we're grateful uh, that you have given us your word. We're grateful, God, that, that you have called redemption to go through the book of Philippians. Uh, thank you for this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. Thank you that we have access to it and, and we get to read it, God. And I pray that this morning you would remove all distractions from our mind and that we would be fixed and focused on your word, God. So, so please transform our hearts. Uh, give us an understanding of your word. Let it not just be regular words we're reading off paper, but th these are inspired by you, God. These are powerful, life-changing words. So, so do that work in us, Holy Spirit. Give us understanding, God. Reveal your truths to us. Convict us. Mature us. Strengthen us. And together, may we look more and more like your son, Jesus. So God, move in this time. We're grateful for this morning, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are picking up in verse 12 of Philippians chapter 2. And it starts off with the word from the Apostle Paul, therefore. Now, of course, when we see that word, therefore, then we know we got to look back at at what he had just said. And we went over this last week. Pastor Dave spoke a great word last Sunday. I've, I've been able to listen to the last uh, couple of Sundays of uh, the sermon shared here, and it was an amazing word. But right before this, in, in verse 12, Paul is, is um, it's known as the Christ hymn, and he's talking about the humility of Jesus Christ and how at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, I want to go back a little, you know, even more than that and refresh us at, at what Paul wrote before that. He also talked about how Jesus humbled himself uh, by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross, how Jesus emptied himself by becoming a servant. Paul wrote about uh, counting others more significant than ourselves. 
He encouraged the, the Philippians to live their lives in a manner worthy of the gospel. Paul said um, that for, for him to live is Christ and to die is gain, and encouraging us to have that same mentality that as long as we are living, everything in our being is for Jesus. And even if we die, that that is a gain because we get to be with Jesus. Paul said that his persecution in prison and everything he's been going through is actually uh, for the glory of God and serves as an advance of the gospel. And there's this sense of, of unity and oneness and togetherness weaved throughout uh, the book of Philippians. And now we pick up here where Paul says, therefore, he says, therefore, my beloved. And I think that can easily be looked over, at least by me. Like I've read that, I've read that, that, um, that phrase many times in the Bible. But, but God just allowed me to, to sit on that for a minute, my beloved. He's already opened up the letter, you know, with some kind words. But, he, but in the middle of, of this letter, he said, he still calls them my beloved, meaning dearly loved. In, in chapter 1, verse 7, he says that he holds, he holds the Philippians dear in his heart. There's this deep love that Paul has for the Philippians. And that's an encouragement to you and I, a reminder to you and I as Christians that everyone around us in here, you know, uh, fellow believers in the faith, we are more than just friends, but we are family. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And we should have that same view toward one another, that deep love toward one another, that deep consideration toward one another. Not just here in, in redemption, but I love that we opened up praying for another church because the truth is there are many Christians in Tucson, there are many believers in Phoenix and Arizona and in our country and in our world that are more than just people, but they're family. And one day we will be with them in eternity forever, you know, experiencing the goodness of God, God's glory, and just to have that heart toward one another, to make sure that nothing's getting in the way of that, of, of being able to call each other my beloved, I think is important to look at. And Paul says, therefore, my beloved, he says, as you have always obeyed, and before he goes on to tell them what they should do next, he encourages them. And I think this is very important for you and I, and, and we can learn something from that, that before we, we maybe critique or before we, we uh, have a conversation with someone about what they should be doing, we should, we should start it with some encouragement. And that's what Paul did here, and that's what Paul does in other letters as he writes to other churches. He starts with some encouragement before, before he critiques or or pushes them in a certain direction. I had a mentor, Manny Nunez, who told me years ago, he goes, Juan, before I correct someone, before I critique someone, I always start with three good things that they're doing, three positive things that they're doing before I go into that one that, that they need to work on. And, I, and I, kept, I took that to heart, and I've tried to practice that as much as I can, and that's just a rule of thumb. You know, it, it doesn't have to be three, it, it could be one, I don't know what it is, but, but, but that's just important to know in community. That's important to know as leaders. That's important to know as we're working with the, uh, um, one another as brothers and sisters to start with some encouragement before we, we go elsewhere. And that's what Paul's doing right here. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, he says, work out your own salvation 
with fear and trembling. Now, when I got the invitation to preach on this text, I was like, yeah, let's do it. And then I started reading the text, and I'm like, great, I get this scripture. Verse, you know, verse 12, to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Like, that hasn't caused some issues amongst brothers and sisters in the faith before as to what that means. So we're just going to ignore that text and move on. (laughs) What Paul is not saying here, you know, as we look at verse 12, Paul is, is not saying work for your own salvation. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, work for your salvation. He's saying work out your salvation, implying that this is a salvation that the Philippians already have. Because we know that salvation is not earned. We know that salvation is is not something we work toward, that, that we can work and receive. It is not based on our works, but at the same time, we're reminded that that does not mean there shouldn't be works and efforts put in as a result of that salvation that we've received from Jesus Christ. That's why we can read scriptures in Romans that says, by grace we have been saved through faith and not by works, but at the same time we can read scriptures in James that that say faith without works is dead. This working out of our salvation that Paul is referring to simply means to continue following the example of Jesus Christ. And this is a process that that we know as sanctification. We know that upon faith that we are justified, that that Jesus, Jesus' righteousness is given to us, that, that we are free, that we are saved, and now as long as we are on this side of eternity, we are in this process known as sanctification. That's why you can read in, in Philippians 1.25, Paul says, look, as long as I'm here, it is for your progress and your joy in the faith. Or, or we can read in 127, let your manner of life be worthy. Paul is encouraging them to continue in this process of looking more and more like Jesus. And that's what he means when he says working out your own salvation. Eugene Peterson calls this process of sanctification, he calls it a long obedience in the same direction. A long obedience in the same direction. Now, now, you and I, especially in America, we don't like things to take long. We don't like waiting for stuff. You put me in traffic, and it's like I lose my fruit. <laughs> Ask my wife. Like, I need to pray. If I know I'm getting into some traffic, I need to pray hard that the Holy Spirit would just keep me sane. There's just something about waiting, especially in traffic, that... It, I, I'm just being real with y'all like it. I just don't do well with it. And there are a lot of things in our lives that that we don't enjoy, take, you know, joy in in waiting for. We want things to move quickly. And this isn't what Paul is referring to. This sanctification is a long process. It's not just snapping our fingers and and bam, you know, now I look 100% like Jesus and, and I live like Christ. It's not what he's referring to here. And we have to be okay with that, y'all. We have to be okay with it being a lengthy process, with there being some ups and downs in our walk with Jesus, not expecting us to live perfect lives, always having it together. But there's gonna, it's, it just looks like this. And, and the, the more we, we grow in our faith, the, you know, the more upward we grow and the more we look and live like Jesus. 
I don't know if you've ever like hit the gym after a while. You know, it's been a while since you worked out and you decided to go back to the gym and you hit it hard on your first day back. You know, you're doing everything you possibly can to attack the gym and attack your body. And, and then you go home and you look in the mirror and you start flexing and or you look at your gut and you're just hoping to see like some progress right away. Am I the only one? Because I've done that before. Like just I want to see it now thinking, you know, that that I may see something, and of course, that, that doesn't make any sense. We won't see that because there's no shortcut to this process of sanctification, of, of looking more and more like Jesus. So Paul is, is encouraging the Philippians, and God is encouraging you and I. To, look, as long as you are in this, in, on this side of eternity, as long as you are, you know, in this walk of faith, continue to work hard continue to grind, continue to put in the effort, and, and don't beat yourself up when you, when you fall short, but keep going. Keep working, keep striving to look more and more like Jesus, to live our lives in a manner worthy of the gospel. A commentary I read on this verse, which, which I agree with, um, says that this verse, you know, working out your own salvation isn't just for the individual. It's not just for you and I individually, but it's for the church. It's for the body. It's, you know, it has this ecclesiological reference because Paul so, so often through this letter has referred to unity and oneness and being of the same mind and the same spirit. And Pastor Dave hit on this last week, not looking to your own interests, but looking to the interests of others, the way of being others focused, the way of putting ourselves last and being in this thing together. It's implied a lot through Philippians and it's the same thing with this, with this verse in 12. You know, working out our, our own salvation together. We're in this thing together, brothers and sisters. We, we, are, we are the body of Christ and we are working on this, working out this salvation together and that's why community is so important. That's why as a Christian, you can't say, Look, I'm going to just do this thing on my own. I believe Jesus. I'm going to follow Jesus, and I'm going to just stay in my lane and do me. And, and, and I know, you know some of you have may, may have been hurt by the church. You, you may have been hurt by other brothers and sisters, and the reality is that's just, that's real. That's real life. We're going to hurt each other because we're flawed individuals. We're flawed beings. But to try to just be on your own and isolate yourself, that's not Christianity. Because the the bride of Christ is the church, right? And together, in community, with one another, we are praying for each other. We are spurring one another, one another on in this, in this walk. We are working out our salvation together. It's a beautiful thing to be together. It's not easy, and it's not always fun, but it's, it's worth it. There's going to be awkward moments in community. There's going to be awkward silences. You just sit there eating and you don't know what to say. Just embrace that stuff. There's going to be offenses. You know, repent, confess, forgive, talk that out. But together, we, we're, in this, we're in this thing. We're not going anywhere, right? <clears throat> and Paul says, he says, listen, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. With fear and trembling. And we know that this is, you know, in reverence to God. Having an awe of God because of what we just looked at in, verse, in the Christ hymn, in, in the verses that, that were before this text, you know, about God 
highly, um, therefore God has highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and tongue confess that Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So it makes perfect sense that following that text, Paul would say, in, with fear and with trembling. It's just viewing God correctly. I don't know, I don't know if you've seen like this, um, this weird thing like was taking place a couple years ago, but like young, young people were walking around with their shirts that say, Jesus is my homeboy. Raise your hand if you've ever, you ever seen that. You know what I'm talking about. Well, if you don't, there, you know, that, like there's this thing like Jesus is my homie. You know, so we're cool. Like he gets me, I get him. And it's kind of just like I can keep living the life I'm living and, and he's cool with me. He loves me. That's nonsense. That's ridiculous. You know, to call, to call Jesus our homeboy is offensive because he's not our homeboy and he's not our, I don't know, like our, our boy. He, he's our Lord. You know, and as I, as I reflected on this, I thought about Isaiah when, when uh, he's in the presence of God and, and he says, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips and I live, I live amongst the people with unclean lips. You know, there is this, uh, even like in our confession right here, it's like, man, the reality is, y'all, we, and we know this, we just got to be reminded, like, I'm made of dirt, I'm flawed, I'm a sinner, I make mistakes, I mess up. And in, in the presence of a holy God, there is this reverence and this awe in how I approach the throne of grace and how I approach my Father in prayer with this reverence and awe. And that's what Paul is reminding us here when he says, with fear and with trembling. And as you and I, brothers and sisters, work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, we have to remember that it is, it is not done on our own strengths and efforts alone. It is, it is not in a way that, man, I got to conjure up. I just, I just got to work. I just got to put the effort in. I got to give everything I got to this thing because we can't. We do so. We work out our, salva- our salvation because God is at work in us, because the Holy Spirit is working through us. And that's what Paul goes into next in verse 13. And I'm so glad he chose to. He says, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So imagine if Paul did not say that. Imagine if the text just read, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And then he went on, do all things without grumbling or disputing. So it's like this idea of like, do this, do that, like get it together, Philippians. And I would read that and feel weight and feel burdened of like, man, I just got to perform. I just got to live up to the standard. I got I to gotta do A, B, and C, you know, check that off my list and I'm good to go. But Paul so beautifully, God beautifully just puts verse 13 right there and says, listen, remember, it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And Paul references, you know, the same idea in other scriptures. So when we look at, there's, there's four scriptures that, that we'll point out here, and they're on the screen for us to look at. So you don't have to turn to your Bible, you know, real quick. That'd be a little difficult. But uh, Colossians 1.29 says, For this I toil, 
struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. He referring to God. Paul is saying, I toil with all of God's energy that he is working in me. 1 Corinthians 15.10 says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Hebrews 13.20-21 says, Now may the God of peace equip you with everything good that you may do his will working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And Philippians 1.6, which we read, you know, the first week of this series, Paul says, And I am sure of this, that he who began the good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Paul is encouraging them and reminding them and reminding us, look, God, did, God began this work in us. He's the the author and perfecter of our faith. He who began this good work in you will bring it to completion. God is working in us. God is moving in us. The Holy Spirit is convicting us, shaping us, molding us to look more and more like Jesus. So are there efforts that you and I have to put in to look more like Jesus? Most definitely. Can we just sit back and be like, all right, I'm saved, I'm good, I ain't got to do nothing? No. There's fruit that will be produced as we abide in Christ, as John 15 says. So, so we're putting in the effort, but we know it's not, it's not only on us. It's God working in us, and there's, there's comfort in that. And my prayer is that that wouldn't stir up, like, confusion or, or division, trying to figure out how all that stuff works, but it would more be like an encouraging thing that we can rest in, find comfort in. At the fact that God is calling me to live like this, but he's also, also equipping me to live like this. He's also producing in me what it takes to live like this. That's comforting. John Owen says, Though we are commanded to wash ourselves, to cleanse ourselves from sins, to purge ourselves from all of our iniquities, Yet to imagine that we can do these things by our own efforts is to trample on the cross of grace, the cross and grace of Jesus Christ. Whatever God works in us, by his grace, he commands us to do as our duty. God works all in us and by us. And again, it's something that we take comfort in. Now, Paul goes on to uh, verse 14, and he says... Do all things without grumbling or disputing. The NIV version says without grumbling or arguing. And other versions use the word complaining. Paul says do all things without grumbling or disputing. Meaning everything. So, you know, here at Redemption we know that our, our saying is all of life is all for Jesus. No matter where we go, what we're doing, our work, our career, our family, on the road, whatever, it's all lived for Jesus. And it's the same thing that's being implied here. We could say all of life is to be lived without grumbling or arguing, without grumbling or disputing or complaining. And again, it's like the perfect day to test that out. I mean, we're in... We're at the end of June in Arizona. 
And we're sitting in this room hot. We're used to comfort. And we could easily be grumbling and complaining about this. Like, man, the church didn't know. They, they didn't come in earlier and they weren't able to fix this. Or the district, man, they, they're going to they're gonna put people's lives at risk. Because <clears throat> it is hot. But we have to be careful not to be in a position where we are grumbling and complaining, disputing about, about anything. Because Paul says, in all things, live a life without grumbling or arguing. And in every way that Paul is encouraging the Philippians to live, we see that it was modeled by Jesus. And again, when I, as I listened to these last couple of sermons by Pastor Dave, he reminded us of that. Doing nothing out of selfish ambition modeled by Jesus. In humility, valuing others above yourselves modeled by Jesus. Not looking at our own interests, but looking to the interests of others modeled by Jesus. All of these ways that Paul is encouraging the Philippians to live was perfectly lived out by Jesus Christ. And verse 14 is no different. Doing all things without grumbling or complaining, that was Jesus. We can look at 1 Peter 2, 21 through 23. It says, for, for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. We can also read in Hebrews it said, about Jesus, it says, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. So not only did Jesus not grumble and complain, but he saw joy going to the cross, the joy that would be produced in our lives, the salvation that we would receive, the freedom that we would inherit, the righteousness that we would be given. And Paul is no hypocrite either. Paul is living out what he's writing. Paul wrote this from prison, and it, and it wasn't an easy go in that prison. It was, a, it was a tough, tough way of living there. So you'd think that Paul had reason, was justified to grumble and complain. And sometimes we can think, I'm justified to grumble and complain and argue, but put ourselves in Paul's shoes. I mean, he's telling the church, don't grumble or complain when he has all the reason to do it. Imagine if he did. Imagine if he gave in to the lie that he was justified to grumble and complain, and he started to, to complain. Man, these, these shackles are too tight. My food ain't good. That water's dirty. Y'all need to turn on the AC in this cell. And, and Paul says earlier that his suffering is advancing the gospel. That the guards are hearing that he's, he's in prison because of Christ. And that the believers are being encouraged to preach more boldly because Paul's in prison. So the gospel is being advanced. But, but if he would have been grumbling or arguing or disputing, I don't know. Maybe it, would have, maybe it wouldn't have advanced. Maybe the, the guards would have heard him and not. 
believed the gospel of Jesus Christ, or other brothers would have been discouraged because of his complaining. But because he chose not to, the gospel was advanced in some of the harshest situations that Paul was in. Paul says in in another book, he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. That's why in Philippians 1.29, Paul says, For it has been granted to you that you should also suffer for his sake. So suffering is going to come to us, brothers and sisters, in, in one way or another. And I'm not talking about the AC being broken. I'm talking about legit suffering. It's going to come to us. It's promised. It's in the Bible. Paul says it's been granted to us. And when that suffering comes, may we guard our hearts to not grumble and complain. And that ain't easy. But you know what? God, according to verse 13, will produce in us a heart, a spirit, a way of being that allows us to not grumble and complain. Because as we try to live this life out, reflecting Jesus, it's difficult. It's hard to sacrifice ourselves. It's hard to show hospitality. It's hard to put others first. It's hard to love unconditionally. It's hard to die to self, to serve others, to extend grace and forgiveness. That's not easy. And we can be tempted to start grumbling and arguing and disputing and complaining. And before we know it, that's just our our language. And we can complain about not just, you know, the world around us because I mean, let's be real. Like, that's the language of the world, right? All you got to do is, is hop on social media to see that. Like, grumbling and complaining, that's, that's the language of our culture today. But that could trickle into the church also if we're not careful. And we can begin to grumble and complain, not just about the world around us, but even within the church, about one another, about the church in general, the big church, or about Redemption Church, or the church next to you, next to me. I've been there. I've I've fallen into that temptation. I've given into that temptation, and it, and it doesn't honor God. It doesn't glorify God. <clears throat> and the antidote, as believers, the antidote against this grumbling and complaining is to remind ourselves of the gospel. As easy as that sounds, like that's the reality, y'all. Like every time I find myself in, in moments of of complaining in, mo- in moments of arguing, in moments of discouragement, and I'm just not reflecting Jesus. Like, God brings me back to the gospel. I'm reminded of my identity in Christ. I'm reminded of this good news that I am redeemed, that I am forgiven, that I am free. Like, we sang about that, but do we, do we really believe it? Like, who the Son sets free is free indeed. We're free from our slavery to sin. We're free from bondage. We're free from performance. We're free from having to have it all together. And, and we're promised eternity with the Father like, that's joy. That's something that when I remind myself of that, it, it real quick puts back into perspective those other things I was arguing and complaining about. Those things are like minute compared to this good news. And you and I have to remind ourselves of this good news, of the fact that Jesus came and died and gave his life for us so that we would be set free. Tony Merida says this in his commentary on this portion of Scripture on complaining he says this, and it's funny because he's quoting 
this guy named John Newton. So I'm quoting a guy who's quoting a guy as, as I'm saying this. <clears throat> but he says, suppose a man, and this is reminding us, this is around complaining. Suppose a man was going to New York to take possession of a large estate and his carriage should break down a mile before he got to the city, which obliged him to walk the rest of the way. What a fool we should think of him if we saw him wringing his hands and blubbering out all the remaining mile. My carriage is broken. My carriage is broken. Tony says, we must remember that we only have a mile to go. Soon we will see Christ. Soon we will be with Christ. We don't deserve such an inheritance. So if we have to walk a mile, we can do so with a song. What a sweet reminder that is. Verse 15, Paul says of of Philippians 2, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. As Paul was writing this to the church in Philippi, he had the world in mind. He had the watching world in mind when he says you will shine as lights in the world. The truth is, brothers and sisters, complaining stains our witness to the watching world. It stains our witness, and we cannot succumb to the temptation. But instead, when we refuse that complaining and we rejoice and we have gratitude and we're thankful, we shine like lights in the world. And I'm reminded of Jesus' words in Matthew 5. He says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. He goes on to say, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. There are people watching us, brothers and sisters. The world is watching. They are watching you. They do pay attention to our actions and our speech and our conduct. And some have experienced a poor Christian witness, and we cannot give them more of that. We need to show them what true Christianity looks like. Not that we're perfect because we're far from it, but show them what, what the real Jesus looks like. And we get our, we get our shine on. We shine our light as we live in this, in, this, in this manner. Verse 16, and listen, y'all, I'm not going to go like 16 all the way through 30, so we ain't going to be here for that much longer, okay? I'm going to summarize some of the Timothy and Epaphroditus stuff. So you're probably thinking like, verse 16, like, come on, dude. Like, get the... Just to encourage. Verse 16 says, holding fast to the word of life. As we shine as lights in this world without grumbling or complaining, we also proclaim the word of life. We hold it out and we make it known. The word of God should be dwelling in us richly, for from the abundance of our heart, our mouth speaks. And as the world tries to claim that this is false and that this is true or that is true or this is true or there is no truth, we hold fast to the word of life. Not to prove that we are right, not to win an argument, but so that many can come to faith. So that many can hear this truth as you and I heard this truth and be set free and receive this this redemption and reconciliation with God the Father through Jesus Christ. Paul says, so that in the day of Christ I may be poured out 
No, he says, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. And, and again, Paul is thinking bigger picture here. He's not thinking in the moment. He's thinking bigger picture. One day, Paul is, is, is remembering, I'm going to stand before Christ. I'm going to give an account. So may you live this out so that I may be proud when I stand before Jesus. And that's a reminder to you and I that we will stand before Jesus and we will give an account. And that's not to scare us or to, you know, put fear. But the reality is we will stand before him one day. Now these next verses up to verse 30 go into some serious service and sacrifice. Let's take a look at verse 17. Paul says, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. The terminology used here is that of the Old Testament. When a drink offering would be poured out as part of an animal or a grain sacrifice. For the sake of the gospel and the growing faith of the Philippians, Paul is willing to lay down his life and die. And not just die, but die with joy. Can you and I say the same? Can we live out Romans 12.1 to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice? Or earlier in Philippians, when Paul says to live is Christ and to die is gain. Or what we will see later in Philippians, counting all things as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's not an easy question to answer if you and I can have that same mentality. I'm praying that it would be true of me. I'm praying that it would be true of us, that God would be our deepest treasure, that he would be our greatest joy, that, that God would purge us from selfishness, from wanting to live for self, from thinking that we are the center of the universe and our passion and desire would be for more and more of Jesus Christ. Like that of Asaph in Psalm 73, he says, whom, whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. May that be true of us. God, work that in us because I know we, we lack that. I know, and, and I'm, I'm guilty of that, y'all. God, work that in us. On to Paul and, and Epaphroditus. And, and we're going to wrap up pretty soon here. Paul gives us practical living examples through Timothy and through Epaphroditus he gives us examples of those who are living out everything he's teaching. Those who are living a life in a manner worthy of the gospel. Those who are selfless, they are sacrificing in humility. And in humility, they're serving one another. Both Timothy and Paul. I mean, Timothy and Epaphroditus. Timothy is Paul's co-worker. Timothy was discipled by Paul. The book of Philippians opens up with Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Not just Paul, but it opens up with Paul and Timothy. He's actually a co-author of this book. And of Timothy, Paul says this. He says, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. You would think Paul would say, I have no one like him. Timothy is a beast. Timothy saves thousands. Timothy heals. I got no one like him. He's the best. You guys are going to be blessed with him. But he doesn't say that. He says, I have no one like him, for he is genuinely concerned for your welfare. 
May that be true of us. May we be genuinely concerned for one another's welfare, for each other's way of life. May we sacrifice and be, be so little that we put others before us as Timothy did. And of Epaphroditus, Paul says this, For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Epaphroditus was sick to the point of death. And Epaphroditus' concern wasn't for his body or dying. It was for the Philippians because they were worried for Epaphroditus. So Epaphroditus was worried for them because they were worried for him. When I get sick, I'm worried for me. I isolate myself in the room. No one come near. I don't want to get any of y'all sick. I just need time to heal and rest. And, and Epaphroditus' concern was for the Philippians because they were concerned for him. I mean, that's humility. That's selflessness at, at, at its core. So may God work that in us to be so concerned about others that we think of ourselves last. Now, we've been reading a lot in Philippians, and even in these verses here, like, there's a lot that we can walk away from and, and be, like I said earlier, like, all right, I just got to knock this out. I just got to bam, bam, bam. I got to live this way. God will, will be pleased with me. I'll be all right. And we're going to keep hearing things in Philippians that challenge us. But our mentality as we leave these doors and as we meet in community groups and as we come back can't be performance-based. It can't be, I just need to knock these out and I'm good. We have to, we have to remember verse 13. I feel like verse 13 is, is core. It's key to this portion of Scripture that, that we read today. It is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. As we are striving, church, to look more and more like Jesus, as we are striving for humility, as we are striving to put others before us, to lay our lives down as a living sacrifice, to not grumble and complain or dispute, as we are striving to live in this way, we have to remember it is God working in us. It is God working in us. It is God working in us. As we walk out of here, may that be what we hold on to. God, work that in us. Work in us that which is pleasing in your sight. All those things are pleasing in God's sight. But it's by him working it in us. And I want to end on that prayer, that that may be our prayer, that God here as redemption Tucson and redemption in whole and the church as a whole, that God would continue to work that in you and I so that we would shine as lights in a watching world and they would give glory to, to our Father. So let's pray. God, thank you. God, thank you for saving us. Thank you for sacrificing your son, Jesus. Jesus, thank you for willingly laying down your life so that we would be forgiven and redeemed and set free, that we would be reconciled. And Lord, as, as we are challenged by your word, all of your word, God, as we are challenged by it, I pray that we won't walk out of here burdened. I do pray for conviction where it's needed, but I pray we won't walk out of here feeling like we need to perform. 
but we would walk out of here knowing that we are free in you, that we are free indeed, and asking you, God, to produce this in us, asking you to work in us, as, as Scripture references so much, work this in us, God, that which is pleasing in your sight. Holy Spirit, work that in us. Remind us. Refresh us. Convict us. Grow us. Mature us for your glory alone. For your glory alone, God. I pray for blessings over this church. I pray, God, that they would shine as a light in this community, that the watching world will see them and be drawn to you, Father. I pray for communities to be healthy. I pray for the flourishing of this body, for your glory. We're grateful, God. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.